you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. It's time to get the very latest on COVID with UCLA Professor of Nursing and Public Health, Kristen R. Choi. She's also a registered nurse who practices at Gateways Hospital in Echo Park. Professor Choi, welcome back to Air Talk. Hi there, Larry. So good to have you with us. First of all, uh, just how you're feeling these days about where we stand with COVID-19 and the ever-decreasing number of hospitalizations. Yeah, absolutely. Well, certainly I'm feeling uh, brighter and more hopeful about the future than I was a few weeks ago. It's it's really um, uplifting to see our case counts, uh, hospitalizations and deaths all coming down so much here in L.A. County. And uh, well, I, I know that there's probably a lot of mixed feelings about there about um, the lifting of mass mandates. And that's true for myself as well. Um, I, I also think it's a signal that we've made progress. And, and that's a really positive thing to see. Well, and and you you have qualms about the mask mandates being lifted. You think we still should have that requirement? You know, uh, it's interesting. I I think that I'm probably admittedly a bit more of a risk-averse person and also someone that has really seen a lot of the devastation of COVID in healthcare, which can... um, bias you a bit more towards that risk aversion. But but I will say, I think a couple of things. One is that I had really hoped that we would have a vaccine for infants and young children before we were at the point of list, lifting uh, the mask mandates. I know that that's a great disappointment to a lot of parents to have to uh, navigate the world without knowing that people around them are masking for their young children. So that's really the biggest one uh, that, that I would have liked to see uh, us have that approved before lifting the mandates. There are a few others. Um, I think that the idea especially of traveling, being on planes without a mask, which we know may be coming up here soon later this month. Those things still give me pause, uh, just just knowing about um, the potential for spreading uh, all kinds of viruses uh, during the course of travel. Um, But, you know, beyond that, I I do think that given where our numbers are at in L.A. County, it's probably reasonable to start thinking about some changes. And and does the availability of N95 and KN95 masks um, make you feel better at all about this? In other words, someone who um, is concerned and wants to wear a mask when out in public settings has access to these higher quality masks, which, as my understanding, do a pretty good job of protecting the person wearing that type of mask. 
Yes, absolutely they do. You know, I still wear an N95 when I go to work uh, with patients. I usually will wear an N95 if I'm going to be traveling on a plane. And certainly having uh, better availability of masks as well as rapid tests has also been uh, a real game changer for thinking about how we move about our lives and, and reduce our own risk. And uh, speaking of, of testing, when are the times that you use one of those rapid antigen tests? At what, what point do you find it helpful? Sure. So um, I, I may not be uh, totally representative. Right now, UCLA uh, still requires weekly PCR right. testing for everybody on campus. So I do a weekly PCR test. But in terms of the rapid test, I've used them in really two main circumstances. One is when I have been concerned that I might be sick. If I've had any kind of symptoms, felt like I'm coughing more or, or something that might be a symptom, then I'll take a test. The other case is that I've had some situations where uh, in, in social gatherings or events and such uh, that people uh, want everyone to take a rapid test for being a part of a group. So in those two cases, it's really, uh, really helpful to have the rapid test available. We're talking with Kristen R. Choi, Professor of Nursing and Public Health at UCLA, and she's available to answer your questions about COVID, about masks, about vaccinations. We're at 866-893-KPECC, 866-893-5722, or email us at atcomments at kpecc.org. Professor, it, it seems like speaking of the littlest ones having access to vaccines, we don't know when that's going to happen. Unfortunately, no, we don't. Uh, right now, it's looking like uh, Pfizer will probably have more data available to potentially submit for emergency use author authorization uh, here in the spring, in, in April. But, but again, we don't know for sure. Uh, as we know, um, their, their original trial of the vaccine uh, for infants and young children did not uh, achieve a sufficient immune response. And so now they're looking at needing to step back uh, and test some different combinations of, of the vaccine uh, for that age group. So I certainly hope that we'll see it uh, make progress and that we'll have more promising results this spring, but it is hard to say for sure. The the state of Florida is going to soon recommend that healthy children not get vaccinated against COVID-19. That, according to the state's Surgeon General, Dr. Joseph A. Ladapo, uh, this is, is would make Florida the first state to officially recommend against COVID-19 vaccination for healthy children. Uh, and this, of course, goes against the CDC recommendation, which urges parents to get their kids vaccinated. The agency's website says COVID-19 can make children very sick and cause children to be hospitalized. In some situations, the complications from infection can lead to death. Um, and, you know, in, in the case of, of Dr. Ladapo of, of Florida, uh, he cites limited or rapidly waning protection against infection from the coronavirus vaccine in children uh, as as a reason against it. Y your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think there are a couple of things uh, with this new recommendation from Florida. So first, I'll say that I, I find this to be quite troubling, um, that a physician and someone who um, has a lot of responsibility for public health in a large state uh, would, would give this kind of recommendation. It's contradictory of guidance from the CDC, uh, medical professionals, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and also what we're seeing out there in the data. So uh, it's troubling and disappointing to me that this, this recommendation uh, came out. Uh, I, I do think though it's important to unpack the study that uh, Dr. Ladapo is referring to. So there was a study that came out from the state of New York that looked at the efficacy of the COVID vaccine for children ages five to 11. 
And what they found in that study was that protection offered by the vaccines wanes quite quickly for this age group uh, within a month or so. And it wanes a bit faster than what we see for older children ages 12 to 17. Uh, this study also found that there is some loss of protection against uh, hospitalization and death risk for children who are 5 to 11. But in the end, uh, they still concluded that even though there is this waning that occurs, having the vaccine is better than not having the vaccine and the protection it offers is still quite good, even if it does decrease. So, um, you know, to me, I would read this evidence very differently. Um, I think it's, it's evidence that, uh, one, that the vaccine is uh, safe and important for children in that age group to get, um, but two, that we may need to think about uh, studies in the future about booster doses for this age group, and if there are other ways that we can boost that immune response, given that there does seem to be a slightly faster decline than what we see for older children and adults. Well, and, and uh, there, of course, is, is the risk of myocarditis from COVID-19, um, which is a greater risk than from the vaccine, according to the studies that have been been released. Is, is that risk of myocarditis from COVID-19 also elevated for kids under 12, or is it only kids when they're older? You know, I believe that most of the cases of myocarditis were uh, observed in kids who were a bit older. But you raise a great point, Larry, that, that in the end, even though, again, the vaccines are not perfect, the risks of getting COVID and what hospitalization or even death can look like for young kids is quite serious. And, um, you know, in my estimation, having looked at the evidence and seen recommendations from uh, pediatric health organizations, as well as the CDC, it's fairly clear that the benefits outweigh the risks. And and again, that that I think uh, children in this age group should should definitely get the vaccine. We're at 866-893-KPCC or email us at atcomments at kpcc.org. Please include your location and your first name. Laura in Culver City says one of my friends uh, uh, had a fever uh, and that was following uh, her nanny testing positive. The whole family's had seven days of negative tests. Uh, they still isolated after a week. Then they started testing positive. Doesn't this show rapid tests aren't always accurate? I'm wondering why I should spend money on them and have them around if they're not reliable. Sure, that, that's a fair question. So so we do know that the rapid tests are not perfect. Uh, they're, they're pretty good, especially at that period when you do have symptoms, uh, but they are not perfect. And, and certainly for, for a family like this caller is describing, I absolutely can see how those costs can get a bit expensive for, for all the tests. Um, you know, the, the federal government announced just this week that they're going to be doing another round of free uh, rapid tests uh, for, for, for families. And so that's something that certainly you can order another round of those four free tests. Uh, and, and again, I think that uh, in this case, the family made the right call to, to isolate and, and be on the safe side, even despite the negative tests. 866-893-KPECC, 866-893-5722. Brent in Sierra Madre wonders about the availability of booster shots for kids age 5 to 11. Are they available? And if not, when might they be available? Yes, that, that's a very good question and actually connects really nicely to the study that we were just talking about, about the the waning immunity in this age group. Right now, um, booster shots are not available for children ages 5 to 11, uh, but I expect that we will have more data on that soon and, and that a booster shot, uh, to me, seems likely that that will be in the future, given the, the waning immune response that we saw. Emilio in Newport Beach uh, would like to get the Pfizer 
Comirnaty vaccine. I'm not familiar with that term. Uh, I've been looking for it, but don't know where to find it. Um, I'm a little confused about that because I don't that different than the than the regular Pfizer vaccine. Do you know, Professor Choi? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, actually. So the Pfizer vaccine, the brand name for the vaccine is Community, kind, oh, kind of a mouthful, oh, okay. uh, but it is referring to the Pfizer um, mRNA vaccine. Uh, so, so in terms of getting that vaccine, you know, my understanding is that we have a real vaccine surplus right now, uh, and it should be available in a number of different pharmacies, clinics. Uh, certainly, you could reach out to your healthcare provider, as well as check out the LA County uh, Department of Health Services, uh, as they may be offering it at some sites. Um, the vaccine, you know, is free for anyone to get. And at this time, there aren't as many, uh, at least from what I've seen out in the community, there aren't as many walk-up options for the vaccines anymore, but uh, there should be plenty of appointments available because I do know that we have quite a surplus of vaccines. Megan and Mar Vista want to know about how to get access to the uh, federal government uh, supplied tests. Uh, there is that website, covidtests.gov, C-O-V-I-D-T-E-S-T-S.gov, or you can call uh, 1-800-232-0233. That's one 800 uh, to get your, is it, is it two test kits that they offer each time, Professor? Uh, It'll actually be four again. So you can get up to four. Yes. Four. All right. Two kits of two, I guess. 866-893-KPECC, or you can email us at atcomments at kpecc.org. Please uh, uh, make sure you include your location as well as your first name uh, with your question for Professor Choi. We'll be glad to to get those answered. We have a uh, new study that looked at uh, people age 51 to 81 and uh, studied uh, for those who got COVID what the effects were on their brain. And it found some shrinkage and tissue damage, primarily in brain areas related to the sense of smell. And some of those areas, according to uh, the research published in the journal Nature, are also involved in other brain functions. Professor, what did you think of this study, which, you know, we should caution, doesn't show that this is a long-term effect, but certainly gives one pause seeing the short-term effects. Yeah, absolutely. This is a very interesting study. Uh, You know, it it can be difficult to plan studies like this where we have uh, really good measures of things like brain volume before and after someone gets COVID. But these researchers uh, did a really nice job uh, taking advantage of of some data that was out there to, to do this study. So, you know, I think that seeing this this evidence about some damage to brains for people who had COVID really um, aligns with what we already know about COVID. We know that COVID can have lasting damage on a number of our different bodily and organ systems, and that a number of people, especially those who have long COVID, do have symptoms uh, that linger, whether that's cognitive symptoms, the loss of uh, taste and smell can linger, uh, and, and it's something that can take some time for people to recover from. I think with this study, you know, one of the biggest limitations is that we we didn't know exactly what their COVID uh, case was like and what what symptoms they were experiencing and whether these brain changes we saw were associated with particular symptoms. Uh, but again, uh, to, to my mind, I think this adds uh, adds to the evidence we already have that COVID can have those lasting effects uh, that can be quite damaging. We have Sally in Seal Beach who emailed, "If you have had COVID." 
What are the rules in testing to make sure you're not still contagious? I ask because it seems some of the doctors you have on KPCC says the antigen test will find COVID in your body even when you're not contagious anymore. How long are you still contagious? Uh, Professor Choi, I thought it was the PCR tests because they're so highly sensitive that will still detect COVID even if you're uh, no longer contagious. That's correct, Larry. The the PCR tests are quite a bit more sensitive, and, and I will say that in most cases, uh, they they will show that you're negative when when you're negative and when you're no longer symptomatic and don't have a high viral load. But there are a small number of people that do tend to still continue to have positive tests even after their symptoms have resolved, and and it's clear that they're they're no longer ill. Uh, but that's actually relatively rare uh, for most people. That that's not the case. And so how beneficial then is an antigen test with its lesser degree of sensitivity in determining later on in the course of COVID whether you're contagious or not? You know, the antigen tests are going to be less useful for that purpose. You know, the real benefit of the rapid antigen tests are that, one, they're they're fast. You can get an answer right away. Uh, they can be done at home. They don't require you to go to a clinic or, or to an office visit. Um, and also that they work well, especially for people who might be symptomatic. Uh, for people who are concerned about um, perhaps having lingering uh, test, testing positive after having COVID for some reason, uh, the PCR test is going to be more sensitive for detecting that. But again, it, for most people, they, they will test negative after symptoms have resolved. All right. We're at 866-893-KPECC, or you can email us at atcomments at kpecc.org. Tom in West Hollywood with what's essentially a daily question for us. It has to do with booster and uh, fading coverage from a booster. Tom says, I'm over 65. I was boosted four months ago. When is it time to get another booster? Because I've I've read that antibody levels drop uh, after a few months. Yeah, that's a fair question and, and absolutely understands uh, why, why people have this question. Right now, um, the guidance from the CDC is that people should generally not get a fourth booster dose. There, there's not really evidence that for most people uh, that it's going to be beneficial over and above that, that third dose. There are some exceptions, and the real exception is people who might be immune compromised or have serious health conditions uh, that, that can get that fourth booster dose. But for most of us, uh, we, we can be pretty confident in the three doses, and right now a fourth booster dose is not recommended. All right. Uh, what advice do you have for people who are now starting to go out uh, to things like concerts? We have our um, Film Week Academy Award preview, our 20th annual one coming up a week from this Sunday at the Theater at Ace Hotel. We are going to require that people are masked for that event. But any thoughts for people to sort of um, best practices to try and lower the risk of, of transmission or getting COVID from going out in the world? Sure, that's a great question. You know, I think the first thing is that we we all have to think about our own risk tolerance and the level of risk for ourselves and the people in our immediate lives. If you're someone who lives with people who are immune compromised, people who are older, 
or young children who aren't vaccinated, uh, then your risk calculus might be a bit different than if you're someone that doesn't come into regular contact with people in those groups. Uh, but if you're someone who is you know, vaccinated, boosted, and you know that you've done all you can to protect yourself, I think it's more a question of just uh, kind of getting used to uh, some, some changes. I think the pandemic and pandemic life, uh, wearing masks, all of these things have become normal for us. And I think transitioning out of that is something that may take people some time. And so I would say, do your own personal risk assessment based on yourself, people in your life. Uh, and if you don't feel comfortable in certain settings, uh, taking off that mask just yet, that's that's absolutely okay. You know, I still uh, wearing a mask in grocery stores, on planes, as I mentioned, uh, I still uh, tend to to try to have gatherings with people outdoors or dine outdoors if I can. And, uh, you know, certainly there's there's no harm to doing those things uh, to just take those extra steps to protect yourself and your family. So true. Thank you, Professor Choi. It's always a pleasure. Very much appreciate your being with us again on AirTalk. Sure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in L.A. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, at kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.